that's it. We're live. Oh, fuck. We're not live, but we're recording. Recording. Or are we live? We're not. Back in the mix. Um, wow. With a sweet new like track from there. George. With a new, sweet new soothing <laughs> movie podcast for your ear holes. Tenant is coming out on the weekend. I can't believe it. I'm so excited. Um, it doesn't feel real, does it? I'm 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 not really committing to it in my mind until like the day it actually comes out, and even then, I'm going to be pretty skeptical. Yeah, I'm going to go about the only thing that could suit. get you to leave the house, right? Yeah, just about at this point. Yeah, but again, um, that has nothing to do with like COVID or anything. It's just not like leaving the house. But not too much news this week. Um, we're probably going to have a little maybe pre-tenant final thoughts. Um, before we're going in, even though like, cause, cause like all this preamble with Tenet has been very a release space. Like we haven't actually been talking about the film itself. So just, I'd like to just, just have that final discussion with you guys on that. And, um, we've got movie book club later, Benny's pick Swiss army man. Um, but let's talk, let's catch on what everyone's been watching. I went Go to on, the George. movies this week for the first hey. time. You actually went to the movies. Long time. I went to the movies. I went to a late session of Inception. By <laughs> so you went to, you went to watch a ten-year-old movie <laughs> when you went so, to the movies. Um, yeah, I mean, it was like it was just fucking an absolutely fascinating experience on so many levels, and I just couldn't wait to get on this and, and talk about it with you guys. Um, first thing was this is ten years since Inception, um, and there was a little preamble before it with Chris Nolan doing a little like three or four minutes spiel about, you know, looking back on the film and whatnot. Um, but this film is like, it has not aged a day. Like this mm. looks modern, sophisticated. It, it is crisp. Like technically Inception is absolutely one of the most outstanding films. Um, even Blade Runner, like, you know, they talk about Blade Runner and whatnot. It's still like distinctly eighties. Like, you know, it's, it, it's, it's amazing. It's timeless in its own specific way, but it adds that 80s vibe. And, and maybe in time, we'll see that when Inception, maybe with more distance, we'll be able to see these things a little bit more. But I truly believe from like the costumes to the, the, the locations they chose, you know, they didn't choose these dream sequences with like all this crazy shit going on. Like I think even Interstellar is already aging more than Inception with, you know, that whole Tesseract thing. Like Nolan kept things grounded, real beautiful sets, beautiful lighting. Like the lighting in this film is insane. I know it's like kind of maybe a little bit nerdy and geek talk about lighting, but like since, again, one of these fucking spiels, since starting and doing some more video stuff um, the past year and working on corporate videos and stuff, like lighting is a whole other game. Like you can have a shit camera and amazing lighting, so insane but you know what was really fascinating around inception for me was everything technical like ticking box ticking box ticking box but on 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 an emotional level inception was really really unsatisfying and the most unsatisfied i've ever felt watching this film it's probably been five years since i've watched it i've probably seen the film 10 times but I honestly felt nothing for DiCaprio's character. I felt nothing for Marion Cotier. I, like, it was just like... Well, do you reckon it was just the, the mentality that you went into the theater with? Like, Who knows? What, what was in the made of it? I mean, you know, that movie, 
always like I'm not saying I walked out of it bawling or anything, but like there's certain scenes that that are meant to hit and, and usually do when I watch it. I'm, I'm kind of surprised that it just felt so spectacularly flat for you. I don't yeah, think it's unfair to say that Hans Zimmer does a shitload of the heavy lifting in that movie. I think if you retracted his score from the proceedings, it would be very dry. I mean, that's not really a fair thing to say because, oh, I mean, in a way it is, but like in terms of like, yeah, that's half of what makes a movie emotional. Totally, but in, in terms of the score being so iconic now and you having heard it so many times, maybe <clears throat> in its own context, you can kind of see the movie on its own terms maybe a little more than being so swept up in it the first few times to see it. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of, um, we had one listener talk about E.T. and how flat E.T. felt at the end without the score. Um, and that, that kind of stuck with me because I was all I could think of was like, well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, obviously. Um, so, I, yeah, I'm, I'm just, maybe that is that does have uh, something to contribute in terms of you know, how often to be honest, now you, yeah. I mean, now you guys mentioned it, Hans Zimmer. I felt like there was this strange, almost dichotomy going on, you know. And, and at the end, the spoilers here fucking Saito, right? Saito's in there, limbo, floating around for X amount of time. DiCaprio wakes him up, and DiCaprio just gives him a look. Yeah, no problem. Do the call. Like, it's you know, honestly, towards the end, it just gets so. Oh, I don't know, man. Like I found the last few bits with like Ellen Page, like, let's go. Like, okay. So there's a bit, there's a bit where Tom Hardy's like, oh, I think, I, I swear to God, we had this. We had this and DiCaprio's like, nah, we're done. We're done. And then Ellen Page goes, no, we can go one more level deep. We can go into limbo. And, and it's just like, I don't know, man. I don't know. I, what, I, I, one thing I did really love was the Fisher character and, and something that I haven't really sort of really sunk in with Inception is the ideas of how um, some of the characters, they sort of check whether or not Inception is going on or whether they're successful, whether or not certain characters within this guy's dreams respond in a certain way. So if he responded in a certain way, it means that character perceived that other character character and had changed their viewpoint on them and i think some of those ideas that chris nolan had in here were really really fascinating but overall i found it very cold um very technical like amazing incredible one of my favorite science fiction films ever but ultimately like cold cold and i didn't latch onto it like um emotionally yeah it's interesting um very very nolan then but I think more compounded than maybe than I felt before. Um, mm. Some other stuff I've been doing is listening to the Stephen King cast. Stephen King, King cast, King, casting King. Um, what's it called? King cast. King cast. Listen, this is great, great content. They've got Scott Derrickson on here who did Doctor Strange. They've got um, the patron saint of the podcast, Mike Flanagan. You know, they have really, really heavy-hitting names. Elijah Wood, um, you know, I am just blown away by this podcast. I'm consuming it at a rapid rate. And I listened to an episode with Rob Sheridan. And Rob Sheridan, if you're a Nine Inch Nails fan, he was the art director for like 15 years and he's a really cool guy. But his episode on Crouch End was really interesting because, um, you know, I'm kind of getting into a little bit sort of more 
um, cosmic horror kind of thing. And this was sounded like a really interesting thing. So then I went and listened to the audio book. I listened to an audio book guys. And it was like an hour long little YouTube video. And it was just so fantastic. And then I went along and listened to another Stephen King short story called N, which has some other Lovecraftian um, sort of uh, tones to it. And then um, I'm now listening to another um, Stephen King book. So I'm going on this whole Stephen King like audio book thing. And it's just such a, um, you know, I, I am not reading enough, you know, and I had a goal of reading 10 books this year and maybe I won't read them. Maybe I'll listen to them, but um, Hey, listen, I'm riding this wave and Benny, thank you so much for recommending this podcast because honestly on so many levels, I'm getting so much value um, out of it. And uh, Stephen King's a really fantastic writer and I highly encourage anyone out there who just wants to get a, a, a little, wants to dabble in some horror like this is just an hour long little YouTube video. Boom, done. Amazing. I think the, say, uh, the main um, takeaway there is that I have great recommendations. And uh, uh, I was going to say, I'm just, I'm just mostly impressed that you didn't try and claim that as your own recommendation. You guys should really check out this. <laughs> I'm impressed. With, I'm impressed. With <laughs> I was like, ben, you got your dudes. How good is that? Yeah. George, did you listen to the Tim Curry audiobook version? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Awesome. I, I haven't listened to it. That sounds amazing, though. I love Tim Curry's voice incredible so it's it's like this couple gets lost in crouch end which is in this part of london and they go into this other lovecraftian dimension and it's just a really cool little weird tale um and tim curry brings so much personality personality to it and i think you know the fact that he was pennywise there's another sort of layer to it that works in a very satisfying Wait, but that King cast man, like, I just need more. I need more. There's another episode with this dude who, um, like, was on death row and he read The Gunslinger and The Dark Tower and, like, he, he was wrongly convicted of a crime and he, like, these characters became so integral to him and his life that when they died in the book, he was like, what the fuck, man? Like, I'm <laughs> losing these, like, things that are keeping me sane. So, you know, it's the power of storytelling and whatnot. And um, you can see Stephen King, like I'm really not that acquainted with his work bar the movies and, and TV series that we've talked about a lot on this podcast, but to delve into a bit more of the prose um, is being very satisfying. And um, he's good, it, I mean, he's a good writer. Not that, not that we really need to extol the virtues of Stephen King. He's yeah. probably one of the famous. Yeah. It's very pulpy. But I love pulpy stuff, so it works very extremely well for me. So yeah, that anyway, I was just is, itching to get this talk, tell you guys all of that. It's definitely a great PSA for reading, which isn't really our, our focus generally, is it? I think it might have contributed to the fact that I actually started reading a, a collection of short stories last week as well. Not Stephen King, but that horror What's short stories, which I, I, I read a book in probably years. I think that inspired <laughs> so. me, man. What was so? What was really that blowing my mind? Suddenly, you guys are reading. Like, it's I like I could read. I forgot I could read. Uh, so I was reading a bunch of short stories from which um, Babak Anvari's Wounds was adapted. The Army Hammer oh. Netflix film um, was was one of the was one of the short stories in there. I believe. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I've I've kind of had that on my list for a while. A list of one book That's that cool. I want to read in my <laughs> lifetime, and I'm kind of crossing it off. Thankfully, it literally is a book list. <laughs> yeah <laughs> is that everything georgie that's it um, all right well i'll i'll jump in yeah um speaking of uh, kind of timeless movies i've dropped here and there i've tried to kind of keep it off the pod because it's not really our focus but i've been watching um 
the uh, kind of every film by Alfred Hitchcock at the cinema each week. Um, and we finally got up to 1960. So we got to watch uh, Psycho last Ooh. week, which I have only seen once before, also on the big screen. Uh, and I was kind of blown away by it that first time and still kind of blown away by it this time. It was so fantastic, fantastic watching it um, in the context of Hitchcock's career and the filmic landscape at that time, because he was always Hitchcock. You know, he was the guy. He was kind of ahead of his time in a lot of ways anyway. But seeing this movie um, come out, uh, what, 60 years ago, and just it's so easy to see how shocking and revolutionary it was even today. Um, it's so fantastic, such a gripping watch. Um, you know all of the beats of the story essentially from any number of other sources and references, but it's still amazing to see it all fall into place. And Anthony uh, Perkins. I will say, sorry, sorry to butt in there, but the first time yeah. I saw it, I did not know that little bit at the beginning where the whole, there's a massive change that happens about 45 minutes in. And right. it's like okay. the whole story resets basically. In a, in a yeah, weird it's, way. It's, it, well, it, it's like a standard Hitchcock movie gets invaded by the future of storytelling. It's amazing. Incredible. Um, and Anthony Perkins as, uh, as Norman Bates is just so uh, fantastic. He feels like he's coming in from another world uh, after having watched all these other films with you know Jimmy Stewart and whatnot. His acting is so comparatively naturalistic that he is at once like kind of the most sympathetic character in the film while also being terrifying in his own way. Um, it's really, it's such an interesting watch. Um, and like I said, you always kind of have to see these, these old movies on the big screen, I find, because, you know, they are slower paced and from a different era. But uh, I, this, I, this movie is just amazing. I completely agree. I, I cannot tell you how modern this felt to me when I saw mm. it. And mm. watching it at home on Blu-ray. Um, but I think that I think a lot of people would would really contest that. Yeah. Like I think a lot of people would say, no, that feels like a film from 1960s. Dude, shut the fuck up. But I, I just think some of the filmic techniques um, so innovative, and it has such uh, a style. And uh, the, the as I said, that reset blew me away. I, I did not expect that at all. I guess it, um, it and you've seen the psycho scene. Like how much is it parodied in the Simpsons mm. and whatnot? I think it kind of come, comes down to the context that you're watching it at, like and what you're expecting. Like if you're expecting something that has is still kind of divorced from modern cinema and that it, you know, it can be easy to to see it as feeling very modern and feeling very kind of switched on. It, I guess it kind of depends on what your, um, you know, view or what, what you think 60s cinema should look like. Um, and I, I mentioned this actually last week on podcast as well as when I watched uh, Casablanca, my image in my head, what I thought, you know, classic cinema should look like was very different. Um, and then that kind of made that film feel more modern. Um, it's the same thing when people watch Star Wars, you know, for a lot of people that that was revolutionary for storytelling, for, you know, set design. Um, but if you show someone today, Star Wars, they kind of look at it and be like, this is like B-grade acting mixed with, like you know, C-grade. Tire. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she, she was really, she was happy with um, Empire and, and even some... Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but, uh, but A New Hope or, or just Star Wars, that was, that was a bit of a rough watch. Mm. 
Yeah, I, like you said, Connor, it is definitely contextual. Um, nothing is in a vacuum. I'm so plugged into film, and that's how my mind works. I, I forget that some people, you know, would like they would definitely watch this and think it's so hokey and hilarious and lame. But um, and speaking of that, next week is the birds, which um, Oof. I that's harder pill to swallow, I think. Yeah, uh, for modern audiences because it is very silly. But um, I think it, the cinema, in, you know, monster movies, kind of owe it a large debt in some ways. Um, I also have a couple of things I want to quickly recommend that uh, I won't go into detail because they are not uh, movies or TV shows; they are comic books. Um, but they absolutely kind of blew my mind. The first is Grant Morrison's The Multiversity. Um, kind of a DC Comics standalone event that basically maps out the entire multiverse of the DC comics, including mm. how our own world fits into that. Um, it's extremely meta, uh, but not in a, a cloying way. It's something he's clearly been developing for decades. Um, it came out a, a few years ago. I've been wanting to read it. Um, I, I won't go into any detail about it. It's just whole. Um, and maybe you want to read something that you'll need to have Wikipedia open next to you at the same time. Um, it's absolutely stunning. Um, and it's just like nine issues. You can get it, get through it straight very quickly. Um, and on, on the other side good. of the, yeah, on the other side of the pond, I read, um, the first Marvel comic I've ever loved. <laughs> um, I didn't read a lot of Marvel comics in general, but, um, this is one that was kind of, on my radar, I just heard some interesting things about it. It's kind of a, a, a relaunch of the X-Men. It's these two series, House of X and Powers of X, written by Christopher Hickman. Um, they were coming out last year, kind of alternatively, one each month. Um, basically, it's just setting a new status quo within the Marvel Universe for Charles Xavier and the X-Men and mutants in that world. Um, it is, it's absolutely revolutionary and amazing, and I can't imagine uh any marvel mutant story going forward from here that isn't affected in some way by this um i i i think it's it's just it's something very special and it's one of the most enthusiastic one of the most enthusiastic i've ever been about any marvel thing ever which is obviously saying something on this show hey dc guy mm, yes um and uh wait do, do, so to, do, can i borrow that as well can you just give me these yeah, 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 I'll um, I'll bring them over. Fucking, um, I, I would love to hear what you think because they're both like you know essentially standalone things. Um, the X Men one is in continuity and has great ramifications for the universe as a whole. Um, but you can just read this one sort of thing, um, and I think it's very impressive. Um, and finally, uh, after seven long years, Agents of Shield, uh, is over. Uh, like over, over. The finale came last week. I, I watched like the last five all done. I watched like the last really? five episodes all in all in one go the other night. Yeah. Um, the last two seasons were very much a surprise that we even got them because they kind of planned to end the show at season five because every year we went through the same process of like, oh, they're probably going to get cancelled this year. And somehow they just got lucky after time and time again. So five, they're like, okay, let's make an actual ending just in case it does happen this time. And then they were renewed for two extra seasons um, before the sixth season even happened. So um, we got these extra seasons. Uh, I'm very happy to report that this is, I think, one of the most satisfying series finales I've ever seen. Um, it really brought everything together, wrapped it all up, um, and left all the characters in interesting places going forward. Uh, the show is definitely, at this point, very far divorced from the MCU. Uh, there's 
virtually no way to reconcile the fact that the snap just doesn't seem to have happened in this timeline. Um, but this show did so much kind of time travel-y parallel universe stuff that it, COVID it, happened it doesn't in that matter at this point. And uh, <laughs> uh, no, that doesn't seem to have happened either uh, for the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, but yeah, I it's what is very personal personal to me, hard to recommend to other people, I guess. I don't know if I'd stake my name behind it, but it's something that I've watched over the years. It's one of my absolute favorite shows of all time. Uh, and I'm very proud of what they're able to achieve in these seven years. They, cause they always felt like the scrappy underdog of the MCU. Oh, I'm glad you're satisfied, man. I mean, mm. like, you know, I'll live vicariously through you because I don't think I will <laughs> that's I seven, that's ever seven, watch yeah. this show and I'll go to the grave never watching. Seven ABC seasons else. is a big, I don't think I've ever watched a single episode of this. And, and at this point, I'm too afraid to start. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but a, it outlasted all the other Marvel shows, so good on them. Yeah, who would have thought that? Mm. Yeah. Um, is that all, Ben? Uh, that is it for me. Cool. Um, I've just got two movies that I've watched. Um, one was uh, Double Tap, which was the sequel to Zombieland. Um, and I've got is to say... Zombieland 2? Yeah. I've, it's the sequel what did you to call Zombieland. It? I called it Double Tap. The sequel to Zombieland. So Zombieland Two. Oh. Yeah. It's, <laughs> just to clarify, it's called Zombieland Two Double Tap. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's kind of what yeah. I was clarifying. Okay, so. <laughs> it's like, not a spin-off. Or I watch Double Tap. What's Double Tap? It's fucking Double Tap, dude. What the um, fuck? I, I, I clarified it by saying it was a sequel to Zombieland. I think I know, that can, I'm like, you can probably like, is, figure yeah, it out. But is there. that Zombieland Two, or is there some weird offshoot that I forgot about? Like, you know, the fucking deal these days. Like, there's 18 Halloween movies. Um, yeah, no, it's it's just um, Zombieland Two, and. You know, I got to say that going into it, I was not expecting much, um, you know, but having said that, you know, I think it surpassed my expectations um, because my expectations were so low. Um, you know, I think that this held enough, uh, vaguely kind of held enough um, uh, charm um, to kind of maintain it as a decent sequel. Um, to a, a film that hasn't really aged spectacularly. Um, you know, there were some very funny parts, um, but otherwise kind of just skated by as a bit of a nothing scene. Um, you know, Do you find it odd, Connor, how much this felt like it could have been set anything from like two weeks to five years after the original? Yeah, there's no kind of continuity to this. It, you know, it didn't really do much to expand on the world. Like, you know, it just... It, it, it's like nothing has happened to these people in the yeah. intervening 10 years whatsoever, except Abigail Breslin turned into an adult suddenly. Yeah. And, and there's, there's, there was nothing that happened in that film either, like in terms of like, which, which kind of yeah. makes sense. There was the first one, nothing really happened. Uh, I guess it, it's kind of fitting that the second one should happen. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I watched that. Um, I also watched a, a Netflix original, which was The Highwayman with um, Kevin Costner and um, uh, he was also in Double Tap and now I can't think of his name uh, all of a sudden. Um, who's one of the main guys in Thomas Middleditch you son of a bitch 
uh, Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson, yeah. yeah. Um, it's uh, about the Texas Rangers that um, went after Bonnie and Clyde. Um, it, this is something that I was kind of looked quite good, but it was uh, somewhat hesitant, um, largely because Netflix has a, uh, a bit of a brand in terms of quality or sort of quantity over quality. So I was like, project power. Yeah. Um, but I gotta say, I, I, I really quite enjoyed this. Um, not as nuanced as it could have been, but, uh, the overall aesthetics of it, um, and the kind of charm of the relationship between, uh, Woody Harrelson and Kevin Costner really pulled this through. And it's an interesting story, right? You know, um, one of those stories that, you know, if someone hadn't told you that it was real, you would probably assume that it wasn't. Um, but yeah, just a, a very cool little piece um, that I would uh, um, I'd probably recommend to anyone that had some spare time. Uh, I don't have any spare time though, so I very specifically kind of put that out there because um, <laughs> this isn't one of those movies that I would kind of cry from the mountaintop saying like this is a must gotcha. see for 2020 yeah. or anything like that. This is a um, chuck, chuck it on. Yeah, I think it's probably there was a another movie that came out that was very aesthetically similar. It's um, kind of set in uh, deep south um, with Tom Hardy and Shia LaBeouf. Um, uh, I think Outlaws, something with her. Anyways, um, a very similar movie, um, kind of aesthetic, and I would probably place it in a similar kind of vein. If you like, you know, I, I found that I'm I'm, I'm quite drawn to. Uh, to TV shows and movies that are set in the Deep South, because I just, I really do love that aesthetic. I love the Cajun um, you know, the music and feel, landscape. Um, so, you know. Uh, yeah. Hey! Jesus Christ. <laughs> Sorry, can we help you? <laughs> I thought I had it on mute. You did not. I thought I had it on mute. <laughs> I really zoned out for a second there. You snapped me right back in. <laughs> Thank you, Ben. <laughs> Sorry, Connor. <laughs> it's hard to concentrate on you when you're just your name on a, on the screen. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. So, are you right there, George? Yeah, do you want to explain that or leave it? <laughs> the cat's just fucking going nuts, man. <laughs> yeah, the cat's going nuts. <laughs> the cat's going nuts, yeah. I wonder who the he gets that from. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that terrifying moment there, George. Sorry. Um, Sorry to you guys and our listeners. <laughs> should we move on to... Uh, Talking about, I mean, I don't have much to say about Tenet, but do you, want to, do you want to give us a little, your thoughts? Yeah, listen, exciting to see Tenet. My, you know, I'm just wondering, you know, after watching fucking Hellcat, can you stop? <laughs> um, after watching Inception, I was just, I was just wondering, like, is, is, are we going to get an emotional heart to Tenet, you know? Because well, I think as the time a, goes on, tell me a Nolan film that really, you know, I think the really Prestige. I think the Prestige, that one, like Dark there's Rises. enough, like <laughs> there's rich. enough, like it's it's a dark tale. The Prestige, you know, it's a real like nobody really wins in the end. It's you feel something. Um, I, I, I don't know that I'd mistake kind of and, nihilism for. For emotional depth, I think that's 
um, you know, but like, like with the child, with the relationship, with the wife, um, yeah, you know, on both sides. Like I feel like both characters had had, um, you know, I, I felt something. Anyway, listen, I, all, all I'm, I, you know, with this film, I want to see some dope shit. Like we want to see some amazing spectacle. You know, yeah. we've seen the cars flipping over in reverse. You know, we want to see all that shit. I, I just will be going to into this movie looking for kind of high-minded sci-fi, like cool concept shit. Like that's that's for me. What if if, if Tenet delivers on that? It has succeeded because that's what I that's what I love getting out of movie. Yeah. No, I completely agree. I completely agree. I just guess I'm just longing for that extra level of like when it all relates back to the character. And, um, you know, maybe my criticisms of Inception is I've literally just been overexposed to it. You know, I've literally just seen the movie one too many times. And that's, that's, that's it. The Tenet, yeah, I'm really excited, but there's just a slight little fear in me that I'm, you know, is it all going to come together in the end? Because Interstellar didn't come together in the end. And, you know, this, po- this post-Dark Knight Rises Nolan, you know, there's a few more question marks for me. Always amazing on the spectacle. Always fully come together narrative story-wise. Big question. Where are you sitting right now, Benny, on... Um, Tenants after endlessly talking about yeah, it. Yeah, I think I went with pretty um, adjusted expectations, I guess, because thinking on it, because I go a little back and forth on the brilliance of Inception as well. I mean, its strengths are so strong and it works so fantastically on so many levels, but there's always been something niggling, niggling at me ever since I very first saw it that, um, you know, it's a little more. Uh, about the cerebral aspect of it than than any kind of heart to it um so i don't know i'm just thinking i was just thinking like when's the last um uh nolan movie i unabashedly loved and i'm just like i don't know if there's ever been one that i'm just like 100 percent on board with um which is an interesting realization um and this movie looks uh, very much like just a, a remake of inception in a lot of ways um, and you know, if it's as good as inception, that's fantastic. That'll be more than enough, but, um, it's, it's been a while since I've even, you know, quite liked one of his movies. So, um, fingers crossed, uh, I'm, I'm going to have probably a special relationship with this movie at least cause I'll be projecting it in 70 mil, which always makes me like a movie a bit more than, um, than I would otherwise. Yeah. I'm pumped to see it in 70. Technically this is going to be an outstanding film and the theater experience, the sound, is going to be incredible. The dialogue mixing, maybe not. We know Nolan has a tendency <laughs> to, uh, it's all good. You, you'll get it. You'll get it. Um, that's Nolan's style of mixing dialogue. But, hey, listen, it's going to be a great experience. Whatever happens, I'm just afraid that I come out and go, uh, what happened? You know, I, I'm a I bit feel like it's like the three times he's so of that. Like the first eight times I saw Inception. <laughs> I feel like this is going to be the first thing, the first new release you've seen cinematically since like Bloodshot. So you're probably going to have a very good time, I think. I'm fucking excited the fuck! Fucking tenant. You know, regardless, I'm still a little Nolan fan whore. So, you know, at the end of the day, I'm going to get excited about it. Um, and, you know, I, I, I start to Google, like, tenant reviews, and then you see spoilers, and then I go, 
I'll just read the first sentence. Mm. Oh, I'll just read the second sentence. Trying and to, then I was reading, I was reading this, I was reading, I was reading this spoiler review on Google and it's like, and I'm like, oh, for real? And then it's like, and it's like Robert Pattinson comes at the end in the Batman suit. <laughs> <laughs> and then all this fucking absurd shit like Denzel Washington turns up and, and like I was like it's cool. I can't believe you're spoiling all of this for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have been out. amazing to see. I, I have spoken to someone who has seen the film and I've made sure not to get any details off them, but it's very tempting to ask everything. Isn't what it? what was the overall sentiment? I'm not gonna say. Thank you, Ben. <laughs> um, Good man. And by the way, that, that spoiler review was total nonsense, so, so don't worry. It's not going to be turning up. <laughs> if, if, you, if you can't figure well, that one out, then. <laughs> Christian Bale's not going to turn up. Um, uh, movie Book Club, Benny, you're in the hot seat this week. Swiss Army Man, tell us a little bit more about your decision for this fantabulous fart of a film. Fart-ridden <laughs> film. Put that on the DVD cover. Yeah. They practically um, did. I mean, that's all anyone refers to the movie as. Yeah. The Farting Corpse movie, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's as good a place to start as any. Uh, Swiss Army Man, directed by Daniels. Uh, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Schoenert, I think. Um, most notably known for directing Turn Down For What, the music video, which I think is very apparent when you're watching this movie. Um, this was known to me from the festival circuit as the farting corpse movie, the, the movie that you have to see that no one's going to tell you anything else about. Um, and I actually just reread a review after watching it this time that I remember reading back in the day when it came out that um, was incredibly superlative about how good this movie is and how much you need to see it. Um, and I think that combined with just the general sentiment around it, um, gave it a sheer weight of expectation that no film could ever possibly live up to. And I remember watching it and definitely liking it and being impressed by it. And then uh, almost forgetting a lot of it in the, the couple of years since. Um, but I do remember it being very, very unique, very interesting, very groundbreaking in some ways. And a movie that I really wanted to revisit and share with you guys. Um, it, and it was almost kind of a, a last second decision that I, that I spurted it out. But um, yeah, I think it is definitely an interesting one to talk about. Yeah, I think yeah. maybe before, because Connor, you haven't seen it as somebody who has also seen it. Um, you know, I was very much, I only had a couple images in my head. This film is very image based. And I think the the fact that he's a music director makes complete sense. Music video director, right? It's It's got that real, um, just stays in your mind and uh, some very iconic stuff in here. So I, I was super excited to re-explore this film. Yeah, I mean, I I had, what I knew of this is I had seen the trailer. I knew the kind of premise in terms of that it was this kind of corpse that this guy was dragging around. Um, and, and I had heard that it was quite divisive. Um, I think it, when it came out of South by Southwest, was it where it premiered? Um, okay, yeah. You know, lots of people that described it as the Ford, uh, you know, Ford and Corpse movie. Um, you know, some people found it uh, weirdly offensive, um, you know, you know or, or distasteful or whatever it may be. Um, and, and that doesn't necessarily deter me in, in, in this kind of context. Um, so I was, I was kind of quietly optimistic about this film. 
Um, I like both Paul Dano and uh, Daniel Radcliffe as actors. I, you know, uh, this was also in a period where Daniel Radcliffe was trying to pick um, interesting, if not you know, potentially bizarre pieces to kind of separate his image from the Harry Potter. Um, and I think that that made for some interesting films one way or the other. Uh, yeah, so uh, I, was, I was kind of quietly optimistic about that. And I mean, if, if we're wanting to get into it, um, you know, I, I think that for the most part, my expectations were met. Um, you know, this movie um, was beautifully shot. Um, you know, if we want to just talk about it from a visual point of view and even a musical point of view, um, I think that, uh, yeah, this was, this was really well done. And there's a couple of scenes that really stick out in my, in my memory in terms of having um, been constructed really well. Um, you know, the bus scene is obviously a very, um, very iconic scene. I think that this film, I don't think people appreciate how much visual effects and special effects going on here. Like the stuff they're doing with Daniel Radcliffe. One of the one of the images that really stuck into my head, and when you mentioned we're watching this film this week, Benny, like the first thing I thought of was him riding him on his back as a speedboat little thing. Mm. And farting, like he's propelling along through fart propulsion. And just like you know, that image and that just like, when have you seen this shit before? Like it, but it works. And I think the beauty of this film is like, when have you seen a character develop, you know, a character development, the anchor of it being around like the way they, you know, flatulence and like their, their, their social anxiety around farting. And then this sort of cathartic, moment like i i don't know like that that for me like obviously there's a lot of different stuff in this film there's a lot of different stuff but that that kind of story from this guy committing you know wanting to hang himself at the beginning and this, this like when it, like I, it's just crazy it's just crazy but it there were, works there were um i guess things explored in this film that i don't think i've ever seen in a film before yeah i um, guess that's what i'm getting at right and i have to give it points for originality like just the this movie is a concept. There's two concepts in this movie that I absolutely love. One is the, the actual concept of him as this multi-tool. I thought yeah. that that was, it's, it's bizarre, it's quirky, it's fun, um, and at times it's disgusting, and, and that I kind of just, I dug that. Even if, even if just slightly gimmicky, it was almost too weird to be gimmicky. Um, the other concept that I really, really loved of this was this idea of teaching someone what it is to be human. Yeah. Um, which is obviously a massive kind of aspect of this and, the, and exploring that kind of the naivety and innocence of a child, like just asking, well, why can't I do that? Or, you know, why would someone, like just trying to explain weird. So there's a brilliant part in this film where he says, well, I'll do it as well and then you won't be weird because we'll be doing it together. Um, and that, that wonderfully innocent, naive kind of conceptualization of, of social norms, I think it's really a really cool piece of this. Um, 
yeah, there there is so much under the hood of this movie more than anyone I think would possibly expect um, going in. Um, but when it's described as the Farting Corpse movie, um, while it, you could take that to feel like people are trying to minimize this movie, ultimately this really is like a movie about farting, mm. um, you know, at its core, which is amazing because I think the movie is ridiculously poignant and kind of a beautiful portrait of humanity um while still being mostly about farting um yeah. which is just a, a seemingly impossible line to walk that this movie does fantastically um like what you're saying connor about you know societal norms and, and uh and shame um yeah. and how destructive uh, inwardly destructive a force the shame and anxiety are and how pointless they are and useless they are and uh how to to an outsider you know a, a being who's not uh, indoctrinated to to all these societal norms how ridiculous this all seems um our, our own uh, you know self-hatred for, for just being what we are yeah mm. it's um, a fascinating concept isn't it and this film so beautifully handles it and i don't think it's it, it, it's not like it's exploring it you know it's not answering it yeah now i i'm interested to get you guys's take because this is obviously territory that a lot of movies try to um, explore. And one of the major downfalls of this kind of movie, and this, this movie does kind of skirt on this, you know, particularly toward the ends I found, is having an air of pretentiousness or kind of self-righteousness to it. You know, the um, high-minded kind of like, you know, indie film or indie like, you know, yeah, pretentious film. Um, and I, I did feel that there was... Like what we like to call around these parts, a non-Connor McGregor film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just... I, there are movies where you're like... There are movies where you get like, I get it. You're quirky. You know, you, you're substituting substance for, you know, whatever you're trying to put in front of us. Um, Weirdness. And, yeah. And, and I, I thought that this film did a really good job of maintaining that kind of um, that quirkiness without falling victim, or at least not falling too much victim to that, that air of pretentiousness. Um, yeah, I thought it rode the line perfectly. I, I mean, I feel like, you know, it is quirky and weird, and it's also kind of high-minded, but I feel like it does so without being preachy it just feels kind of universal um uh, in a way and like you said georgie it's not necessarily throwing answers at us more as just raising questions um I, and yes go ahead no no you, you go you go well just it's hard to it's hard to really think of a way to justify this movie being labeled pretentious when there is just so much hilarious farting <laughs> stuff in it. And, then, and that's kind of what I mean. I mean, in terms of like, you know, pretentious is not necessarily like, um, you know, I'm saying it has a lot of the ingredients that could make someone lean yeah. towards that. It could be absolutely really, insufferable, this film. It's got the um, Walter Mitty soundtrack. It's got the, you know, the kind of sun, you know, coming through the, the trees. And I hate, you know, I hate that shit. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's dealing with high-minded kind of philosophical 
um, almost nihilistic theme. So it's got all the ingredients for it to be that that kind of film. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that it it does a good enough job. Like, I mean, a lot of this is just, you know, a lot of the stuff that I love about this is is the conversation, you know, between yeah. um, Paul Dano and, and Daniel Radcliffe and this kind of that that kind of simplistic exploration. I thought was really good. It's more toward like the end. I found they it obviously they they kind of needed to wrap it up in a bow or, or or kind of give some ending. And that I did feel as though I lost some of the beauty of the the film because the film doesn't feel as though it should have an end to it. And like I could I could have watched them talk to each other for probably another hour or two. Yeah, I mean that is the the core of the film is the relationship between these two, and. Um if we could just talk about them for a bit, because Paul Dano's amazing in this. He, this is exactly his niche, the kind of quirky indie movie where he plays <laughs> a guy who's like equally MC relatable and dislikable. Um, but I mean, we will have to come back to him because we need to talk about Daniel Radcliffe, um, a guy who I never liked a single performance in any movie from. And then this comes along and suddenly it's one of my favorite performances of all times. So he's just revelatory in this movie. I feel like this film is built for millennials. Like, I don't think I could show my dad this. Like, a lot of the films on Movie Book Club, you know, and my dad would kind of get it. Like, I think if my dad watched this, he'd be like, this is so fucking cooked. Like, that's exactly what my dad would say. He uses yeah. that term frequently. Um, yeah. Uh, what but, are you saying he's not a millennial then? <laughs> um, but, but I feel like the fact that, that if you grew up with Harry Potter, and whatnot, you get another layer of appreciation and satisfaction out of this because mm-hmm. what they do with the Daniel Radcliffe character from the, the fun that they do with the different mechanisms that they have with the Swiss Army Man to the special effects and the way they actually treat it and the rules that they engage upon is just, for me, unbelievably satisfying. Um, there, there's a montage in the middle of this film that is one of the most joyous, like, stretches of film I have seen in the longest time. And you just it is think, amazing. like, I, I, again, I know I talk about this a lot, but, you know, like, working on all these music videos with my band, like, you know, you have to kind of, like, list out these things and make and materialize them somehow. Like, you've mm-hmm. got to make something out of nothing. And I just think I'm watching this film and I'm thinking about these conversations these guys are having with this fucking torso of Daniel Radcliffe and it's, like, these decisions they had to make. To to perform this magic, you know, it's it's well, not like say, a, it's so, not sorry. like Inception where it's like, hey, we need water to burst through here. Like this is fucking original shit. Yeah, just well, just to add to your point, uh, this movie saying making something from nothing. This movie was made for three million dollars. Um, Insane. And for them to have made it look this good and this accomplished is just crazy. I mean, the, your budget kind of goes a long way when you've got like two sets and two actors. Well, that's the thing. They've got Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe. That's probably 90% of the budget right yeah, there. Yeah, <laughs> probably, like, I don't know. It's like when Jonah Hill did um, uh, that Will Scorsese movie for 50 grand. So you never, you never know with these things. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it, let's, let's mention this is these guys' first film, um, and they managed to get these fairly notable actors on board for it. That's obviously just a sign of, uh, of talent and, and passion right there. But this 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 almost like has that crazy sort of New Zealand flight of the Concords, Mighty Boosh, 
aspect to it. And mm. I kind of see where you're coming from, Connor, in a way that like from a mass audience perspective, you know, this is like a really great first feature. But if you want to become a filmmaker that's sort of exploring a lot of different things and whatnot, like you can stay in this and do quirky little $3 million budget films. And these guys can do that until the cloud, you know, like they're just nailing it. Um, I'd love to see the return on investment on this film. But like if they want to keep climbing the ladder and I, I don't know their subsequent filmography, but I think like this is so fucking out there, man. Like not a lot of people are going to give this time. You know, a lot of people are going to watch some of those scenes at the beginning with him hanging himself and then the farting and be like, I'm fucking done. I'm done here. Like, this isn't for me. I mean, this isn't, this isn't a movie for everyone. And I wouldn't yeah. recommend it to everyone. I think it, it this is... Which is part of the beauty of it. Yeah, exactly. You know? This is very... This is somewhat niche, right? <laughs> you know? um, I guess this movie isn't a movie for everyone. I think it's a movie about everyone, though. And I think mm -hmm. it's kind of an indictment of the people who walk out of this and say, oh, that was dumb, that was disgusting. Um, like, I think this movie kind of tackles that. I think that this says like, yeah, well, then you're not getting it, pal. Okay. So they've done another film. So Daniel. The death of Dick Long. Yeah. The death of Dick Long. Yeah. I think that was only Daniel Shennett maybe, but yeah. um, I've heard really interesting things about that. That's very much on my list. Yeah. So, you know, they're, they're this, what, what was this done for? Okay, so they made 36000 at the box office for the death of Dick Long. What did Swiss Army Man... Okay, $3 million budget, $5.8 million box office. I mean, that's, that's solid. But those indie films, you know, they don't have a ton of marketing budget like Star Wars and shit, so they probably skimmed off a milli, two million off that. Yeah, for its box office to be bigger than its budget is good for a film like this, <laughs> like at 100%, 100%. all. 100%. Uh, just the, uh, you know... I want to talk to you guys about how you felt about how the character um, or the perception of the character changed right towards the end, because, you know, even, even when I suspected and it was in fact confirmed that he had taken a picture of her on a bus, there was still this kind of, you're like, Oh, you silly fool. It wasn't until he got to society and I started thinking about the phone and all that, that I really kind of realized how indefensible that is. Like, there's no way he could have explained to her what he was doing there and come off as a good or, or reasonable person. And I found that a very interesting way to end the film. You know, he didn't come off necessarily as just misguided um, at that point, but all, like, as almost like a bad character. More yeah. And I, I think this film, you know, I think this film, this character starts out... Um, you know, wanting to take themselves out. And, um, you know, there is a redemption arc here in a certain way, but it's, it's got a weird overtone to it. And um, some of those decisions there, like I completely agree with you. Um, it, it does leave you with this kind of like, it, again, this film, this film, like it leaves you with, it doesn't answer everything. It's sort of throwing mm. these questions out there. And I wonder like, what is the intent behind that? You know, what, what are they trying to say there? I, I, I do like that they didn't spare him, or they, they didn't spare the audience the reality of what that kind of mentality can manifest itself as. I mean, yeah, I love Mary Elizabeth Win uh, Winstead's kind of reactions to him through the end of the film as more and more information is released. Mm. Her, her last line is absolutely brilliant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, I, I, I kind of like that they didn't paint him in this kind of perfect picture towards the end, although it was somewhat more hopeful than, mm. than the beginning, certainly. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, this is, um, this is a highly imaginative film and um, just super inspiring. I think like it shows you that you can, you know, you can do some really wild shit. There's a lot of conventions that people stick to. And, and oftentimes it's good to stick to those conventions, especially when you're starting out as a filmmaker. This is not a movie that I want to watch every, or like, I don't want to watch this kind of movie every single day. No. I think that would be kind of exhausting. Um, well, maybe I do actually. Um, but um, I think we would lose it to re- like, if every movie was so, there is, there is a validity to the, the kind of narrative structure of most movies. There's, it's not just by coincidence that they will happen to kind of have some level of that structure. Um, yeah. Enormously to it. Um, but it does make these kinds of movies all the more special. Um, and it, it really brings to light, and I was thinking about this when I started watching it, is what, what is it that you know, really kind of drives a good film? Because, <clears throat> and you know, this is, you know, speaking of high-minded, um, this is certainly something that, that I keep thinking about is, is, you know, there's some films that I hate because they're not accurate or they're not, you know, plausible or they're, you know, whatever it is. And I'm sitting there watching this film thinking I'm loving this, but it doesn't have any of those, like, you know, checkboxes. It's not plausible. It's not, you know. <laughs> yeah, based in reality have, whatsoever. Yeah, it doesn't have like a conventional storyline or, or kind of multiple characters or, or, or a plot that is really, you know, well thought out or, um, so it just kind of, it, it struck home that, you know, there, it, it belongs obviously in that kind of echelon of good films, but I, I, I couldn't tell you why. Well, it hits at something much, job, but <laughs> it hits at something much more real and true than, you know, the specific details and, and, mm. um, dynamics of how something happens. Like the physics don't matter, but the, uh, the emotional truth of it is much more accurate than anything you're going to get in some, some conventional film. And it's funny how sometimes these different vehicles, you know, like the vehicle that they use in this, the Swiss army man learning about and being educated about humanity and the way things work. Like that's a vehicle for us to re-explore um, the ways we look at things. And it's not like a typical drama or like a courtroom case. It's like this crazy, weird little adventure um, that really gets you thinking and, um, gets you thinking about farts and it's like, I'm going to let one rip and in my next meeting at work and I'm going to stare, <laughs> at, say, I'm going to stare at the client Ash, in the eyes. Ash is going to be going, this. what's up? <laughs> all, you're stuck in the conventions, yeah. bro. <laughs> then I'll lose my free, job. Man. Yeah. And I'll be back in with my parents. <laughs> yeah. At least I fought it in that yeah. movie. We'll lose a job. You'll go out into the woods, start talking <laughs> yeah. to yourself. Yeah. We'll find you in like a build a little shelter. Type. Yeah. Start my own utopian society. <laughs> <laughs> one one last thing before I kind of give final thoughts, or this probably be my final thoughts. I love the set design of all his like little crafts. I thought those were super cool. Yeah, it felt yeah. very uh, Michel Gondry or something. Mm-hmm. I guess another music video director, film, filmmaker. Yeah, yeah. I, I just thought those aesthetically wise, like those were really cool. Across, it's like incredible they got this made for three million bucks. I just think like these, this crew must have worked on fucking pennies, man. Like mm-hmm. holy shit, pretty spectacular.
Insane. Any final thoughts, guys? Great pick, Benny. I think I've said everything I wanted to say. I, I guess just on rewatching it this time, it struck me how um, how brilliant and perfect that opening is, um, especially, as you guys said, in weeding out people who might not get much from this movie. But, you know, it, it's just the scene of him uh, about to kill himself and then finding this dead body. And it it, it, it at a perfect level, it kind of introduces what world we're in. Um, you know, like the corpse just starts kind of making noises. And by the end of the scene, he's riding him like a jet ski. Um, and I, I think a, a great way they ease you into that is the the music whereby it's kind of remixing the diegetic sound of the scene into this song. Um, and Paul Dano is actually like singing in the soundtrack as it's happening. Mm. Um, and it just lulls you into this, you know, magical realism world where you're just like, okay, cool. Anything can happen in this movie. I'm, I'm set for the rest of it. And then when, you know, Swiss army man just comes up on screen, it's just like, hell yes. I'm, yeah. I'm in for this I'm ride. On board. <laughs> mm, very much so literally. <laughs> awesome. Also when, right, when George, Paul Dano you... slaps his dick at the end, that's one of the hardest yeah. I've laughed in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> that that scene that. where he's trying to like explain to the kid. And I was like, mm. Oh no. Cause it's framed as like such an inspiring moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right georgie all right hey yes i fucking get to not pick a musical <laughs> i fucking relish these moments um so yeah as, as i've been saying i've been going on this stephen king tirade and i thought um there's a few like stephen king lovecraft on the tirade, and i kind of had a few options in my head but i thought one that i've never seen before and i've been really keen to watch for the longest time is 1983's uh, the Dead Zone by David Cronenberg um, with our boy uh, Christopher Walken in it, um, oh. Martin Sheen. Uh, so, you know, this one is one of those ones that's like a classic in that sort of cult sci-fi horror um, realm. And it's, you know, very critically acclaimed. And, you know, I, I want to explore a bit more Cronenberg. So I thought now's the time. Now's the time. Cool. Brilliant. Well, I mean, this has got to be the first pick that none of us have seen, I guess, right? I think so. Nice. Awesome. I love it, man. Fuck yeah. Cool. Well, All right, gents. I'm very excited for it. Very excited for Tenet. Uh, I think spoiler review and non-spoiler review next week. So mm, finally, let's see. Let's see what happens. Well, much love and uh, great pick and stay well, stay healthy. Congratulations on your vegetables. Pick. Well done. <laughs> Let out a fart every now and then. Have a fart. Let it out. Better out than in, Ari. And uh, I'm going to call it. Yeah, call it no, now. that's fair. Catch you guys. That is Mike. Do it live.